Luke 24, verse 44. Christ is risen from the grave in victory. He's uh, in a resurrected body. And those who knew him once have not recognized him. He's revealed himself as he spoke to them about himself from the prophets, the Psalms, and the law. And now he appears to his disciples apostles and commissions them he says these are my words that I've spoken to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them thus is it is thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Turn to Acts 1. One to three. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to your word with great anticipation and great excitement as we read words such as he appeared to them alive. May that fill us with excitement for this passage, excitement for this book, as we declare the resurrected Christ, the Lord of the kingdom of God, the Lord of your kingdom. May our hearts be humble May our minds be ready to receive your word. And Lord, may we be ready to change where necessary. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More scripture. It's a wonderful thing. Turn with me to James. James 1.19. Uh, 1.20. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and preserves, being no not a no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. As I started to study for the book of Acts, I found James to be very confronting. As it reminds us that we are to be doers who act. And the whole book of Acts is about the actions of God's people, particularly the apostles, but definitely God's people, his church. And we want to be those who read the book of Acts, understand it well, which some people have distorted it, and act upon what we are meant to act upon in terms of knowing what is descriptive and what is prescriptive in the book of Acts. So we do need to do some work. And and starting a new book uh, can be quite daunting. It's like 28 chapters, and we're going to preach three verses this week, can feel like it's going to take forever to get through. But this is the word of the living God. This is the word that cuts bone and marrow and and softens the hard heart and removes the heart of stone and puts the heart of flesh in. And so every verse is worthwhile taking our time to look at. We find that every step is worth it because we uncover more and more beauties of the triune God and His redemptive story. When we get to the top, if it were a mountain, we look out at the view and we see the gospel of the kingdom with even greater understanding and greater expense. Yet as we look, we realize there's still shadows of things that we don't understand. We dive into Acts and Acts is going to lead us back to the Psalms and lead us into the law and lead us into the prophets. And there's, and we're going to be enriched by the gospel. Yet at the end, we're still going to want more. By the end of this year, we'll be up to Acts, I think, chapter 10. And God willing, we will still be enthused next year to continue working through such a wonderful story of Christ's work through His people by the Holy Spirit. A few sort of principles as we work through. No book is isolated. All is connected in God's redemptive story. If you pick up the book of Acts, uh, you need to listen out for quotes from the Old Testament and not only direct quotes, but allusions to different stories or passages, promises fulfilled, curses reversed. We're going to see commentary on Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Psalm 16, just within the first few chapters. We're going to see the undoing of the Tower of Babel and the scattering of the tongues to uh, the tongues coming together to hear the gospel for all nations. Acts is, if, if Acts is read in isolation from the Old Testament, it will produce a church disconnected from its historical roots and come up with all sorts of new ideas rather than bringing clarity to the old ideas of God's redemptive story. What the, uh, what the apostles do in Acts is a redigging of their forefathers' wells. In Genesis 26, Isaac redigs his father's wells rather than go and dig new ones. Uh, we are, as Christians, to see our work as redigging wells. Let's redig from our forefathers, both those through history and those in the scriptures. 
Let's not read Acts through the 21st century Australian view and come up with all sorts of weird ideas for church. Let's read Acts through the lens of the Old Testament, through the lens of the law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, and may the Holy Spirit help us to redig the wells of our forefathers. So here's four little principles to think about as we unpack the book of Acts. Old Testament matters. In every passage, is there an Old Testament quote or allusion taking us back somewhere in these scriptures? Second one is parallels. Jesus said in Luke, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are to be disciples who become like Christ. Therefore, we are going to suffer things that Christ suffered. We see this with his apostles. Christ got falsely accused. The apostles get falsely accused. Uh, Christ died, his apostles died. Uh, And we can go through many other things which, which we'll see as we unpack it. The third one is, what is the fruit of gospel witness? And the reason I say this is you'll see that the gospel is preached and then it demands a response. We'll see this in today's message. What is the fruit of it? Sometimes conversion, sometimes anger. Uh, we'll, we'll look at that a bit more today, but we'll definitely unpack that as we go. And the fourth one is what acts are we to follow? Which isn't everything, but what acts are we to follow? So there, sort of the principles as I unpack acts, we're going to dive in, use those. Hopefully they're helpful. Let's start in verse 1. In the first book... O Theophilus. Starting uh, here in verse 1, it instantly reminds us that this is not the beginning of the story. Uh, If you were to to open the Bible uh, as a new believer or never touched the Bible and you open up at Acts and you read in the first book, uh, you might start to consider leaving Acts there and go back to the first book. Right? Uh, If we are to, to understand... The book of Acts, we want to understand, well, what came first? What is part one? And for those of us who have spent any time in the scriptures, you'll probably know that Luke is part one of the book of Acts. Luke 1, 3 and 4, it says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Okay, so we see that that Luke, uh, who many have said, uh, including people of his time, that he is uh, to be numbered among some of the best historians of his, of his era. Uh, Luke, as an educated man, uh, even seen in the secular eyes that he was a good uh, and, and diligent historian, he writes to someone who's called Theophilus, and he's writing about all that Jesus has done and taught. And he's writing it in an orderly account. He wants the person who reads it, Theophilus here, to read it and be certain, certain of the things he's been taught. He wants them to be certain of who Christ is and what Christ has done and what Christ is still doing. Now, it's interesting that the name Theophilus, most would say, is definitely a real person, but his name uh, Theo and uh, Philos means God uh, or, or lover of God or beloved of God. Many commentators have said that this 
these two books, part one and part two, Luke and Acts, is for the lover of God. If you love God, read Luke and Acts and you'll love him more so that you will be certain, unmoved, unwavering in your trust in who God is, what he came to do, uh, who Christ is, what he came to do and what he is still doing today. He wants the lover of God or the beloved of God to be certain of these things. Isn't that what we want? We want our faith to be certain like in Hebrews 1. Certain of the things hoped for. And we, uh, we have to wonder, what is it that we need to be certain of? Well, firstly, who is Jesus? Uh, he is the Christ. Now, that is a weighty word which rolls off our tongue maybe a little too easy, but it's the Messiah from the Old Testament. If we were to just do a case study or a, a name study on Christ and Messiah of the Old Testament, we'll be here for the rest of the year and longer. This is a huge title, which we probably take for granted, but the Jews definitely did not. So it was either he was the Christ or he wasn't, and if you're claiming that he's the Christ and he's not, we're going to stone you, right? Uh, so this was a weighty claim. Uh, to claim that he is the Christ is to claim that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenants and he is entitled to the throne of David. So this is where Luke, Luke sort of starts his gospel. In Luke 2, 10 to 11, he says to the shepherds, the angels say to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Huge title. Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. So he is the one who is promised back in Genesis. He is the one who is promised to take the throne of David. He is the one who is to set Israel free completely from, uh, from their enemies, Satan and sin uh, pri primarily. He is the Lord in that he is God. He is the Lord of the kingdom. He is the Lord of the kingdom of God. We could spend the whole sermon on who is Christ, Christ the Lord. But Luke goes on, what did he come to do is the other thing that Luke <clears throat> will expand on. And in Luke 4.42 he says, Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. So firstly, Jesus was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, a language that I hope we recover as we unpack the book of Acts, that the gospel, the good news is about the kingdom of God coming to earth and his king, which is Christ. Uh, this is his purpose, uh, but there's not only uh, his purpose is, is not only to declare it, but to establish it, and he establishes it through his death burial and resurrection. And rather than coming in and conquering his enemies, he comes in and saves his enemies by dying. In Luke 24, 44 to 48, we read it earlier. It says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
If we have to stop at verse 46, uh, this, this is the work that has been done, that, that, that Luke refers to in his first letter, all, all the work that Jesus began to do and teach. This is the work that has been done, that Christ has come, he has preached the good news of the kingdom, he has died so that those who are his can enter his holy kingdom. If he didn't die, no one would enter into his kingdom. But because he died and rose from the dead, we, who repent of our ways and trust in him, will enter into the kingdom of God. But what we see in Luke, uh, in Luke's writings, in Acts, is that the work is not finished. Uh, Of course, when one of the big hurdles for the Jews in coming to faith in Christ, in Jesus as Christ, is that they thought that the kingdom of Israel would be delivered back to them. That Jesus, as the new David, would sit on the throne and all of Israel will be brought back to Jerusalem and they will have their nation and they'll live in prosperity uh, and, and, and that's how it would go. But it's not the plan. The plan was that the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, would come and he would die and raise to life in order to bring people into his kingdom from all nations. His kingdom was going to grow to be for all the nations. So the work that he began to do and teach is not finished. There's more work to be done. In verse 2, in Acts 1, he says, Until the day... When he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to his apostles whom he had chosen. In Luke, Jesus began to do and teach. In Acts, the work of Christ and the teaching of Christ is continued. Acts implies that there's more work to be done. The whole name of the book is Acts, actions, things to do. Christians have things to do. Your title, if you have the ESV here, uh, it might say Acts of the Apostles. Yet Luke has already implied that it's going to be Jesus who's began to do and teach and he's going to continue to do and teach. The The important thing that we need to remember here is that he is giving them the Holy Spirit so that they can be witnesses of these things. Verse 48 of Luke 24 Witnesses of these things. The witnesses are of his suffering. Uh, What are they witnessing to? Of his suffering and of his resurrection. That is what they're to witness to. Of his death and of his resurrection. So right now, if we were to go back in time and be in this story, Jesus appears to his apostles, 11. One's gone. Says in Corinthians that he appeared to some 500 people, but only 120 of them are gathering here in the book of Acts. And his work is that all the nations will know of his death and resurrection. And there's 11 of them plus 120. It's not many people. The fact that we are here today in Australia, in Curry makes little sense if it's by human effort. But if we go back to Luke, what does he say to his uh, his apostles? Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. 
Remember, it was only just a few weeks ago, over a few months ago, that the apostles just ran and scattered and denied Christ. And now, Jesus is telling these cowardly men, you're going to take the gospel, my death and my resurrection and my lordship, and proclaim it to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the nations. There's your framework for the book of Acts. You see, the gospel proclaimed to the Jews in Acts 2, Samaria in Acts 8, the Gentiles in Acts, uh, Acts 10, and all the Gentile nations, as we just see, all these nations from there to the end of the book where it finishes with Paul in the empire of Rome. What's he proclaiming? The kingdom of God. The death, death and resurrection of Christ. We see this framework of Acts that the gospel will go to all the nations. It should be an encouragement to us. If 11 men clothed in the power of the Holy Spirit can take the gospel out of Jerusalem into all the nations to the major city of Rome and God conquer Rome in 300, in a couple of, what, 250 years God conquers the nation of Rome with the gospel, we should be encouraged. The gospel is unhindered. The gospel progresses with persecution. So we see that the work started by Christ is continued by Christ, by the Holy Spirit, through his people or through his apostles, specifically in the book of Acts. And the same is happening still today. The God of Christ Jesus is still working, still advancing his title, his fame, his death and resurrection to the nations by the Holy Spirit through, the, through his church, through his people. Acts is just the start of the mustard seed sprouting. In Luke, we hear that the gospel of the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's planted in the ground. And it sprouts and grows into a giant garden plant. Well, by the end of Acts, we could say it's sprouted, it's growing up, it's, it's immature still, but it's, it's had a huge impact on the world. Jesus is still working today. Acts is emphasizing that for us. In verse 3, he says, He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. In verse 48 of Luke 24, Jesus says, You are to be my witnesses. We just looked at that before. Here is the same message. And the emphasis is witnesses of his resurrection. He presented himself alive by many proofs, right? He's died and he rose to life and he's given heaps of evidence for this. And the reason being is... <clears throat> is that if Jesus rose from the dead, 
everyone has to have a response to him. If Jesus genuinely defeated death, everyone has to either reject that it's true or bow their knee and call him Lord. You can't be apathetic to the resurrected Christ. And that's really what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts demands a response to the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we wouldn't be here. The work was in vain. Acts ends uh, with nothing. It ends in, in chapter 1. Uh, Because Pentecost doesn't take place, the Holy Spirit doesn't fall, his people don't go out with all boldness and declare the gospel, uh, because it all depends upon the resurrection of Christ. So the resurrection declares forgiveness of sins and the lordship of Christ over all things. If Christ defeats death, he therefore is Lord over everything. But who else can defeat death? But the one who created all things, the one who rules over death itself. So the major theme of the book of Acts then is that Jesus died, yet he lives, so how will you respond? And your response can't be apathy. Your response is either anger or submission. And this is what we see with the apostles. They go forth and they declare this to the Jews in Acts 2. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Remember that Luke is writing about all the, all, all the words and deeds of Jesus. He's asking his readers to respond to the man whose words match up with his actions. And he's calling us to take seriously the man who says something and does it. And the apostles, the apostles are arguing this. Firstly, uh, they're arguing firstly to respond To Jesus' claims that he suffered, died, and rose from the dead. You have to respond to that. And secondly, respond to his followers' actions. What has made these uneducated, uh, 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 cowardly apostles so bold to preach the resurrection of Christ? This whole situation demands a response. How? Why? What's changed in them? How, why, what's changed in the story, the story of Acts is, is dramatic. It isn't meant to leave us feeling, uh, 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 leave a feeling of forgetfulness about the Christ. It should linger on in our minds. And his disciples are constantly demanding that their hearers respond to the resurrected Jesus. Listen to some response at the end of Acts 2, after the preaching of Peter. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's, that's one response. 
few chapters later, Stephen preaches pretty much the same message. Goes back to the law, goes back to the Psalms, uh, expounds and shows that Jesus is the Christ. And then they respond like this, verse uh, 57 of chapter 7. But they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Same message, different response. Right? Some are pierced to their hearts and some rejected. We see this end, the book of Acts end in the same way. Paul is in Rome. To some he persuades, to others they reject it. But what we absolutely have to get from people is a response to the resurrected Jesus. If you are to just explore the, 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 the narrative of the Christian church throughout history, most cults or sects have had to respond in some way to Jesus, if not all of them. Muhammad, in his invention of Islam in, 600, in the 600, he had to respond to the resurrected Jesus. He had to do something with it. So he calls him a great prophet. He says he died, but he wasn't resurrected, right? That changes the whole message. If he's not resurrected, we are not here. So he changes the message. We see even small cults like uh, Jonestown. He has a dealing with Jesus. He has to deal with the Messiah. We look at all different types of religions or cults around the world and they they have to say something about Jesus. Why? Because it's confronting. It's in your face. We are declaring that someone has gone to the grave, conquered the grave and come back alive. And if he has come back alive, he is therefore Lord. Which is what brings us to the second part of verse 3. Speaking about the kingdom of God. And this is important. The gospel is not just Jesus died for your sins to make you happy. Jesus died for your sins so that you would submit to him, his rule and reign. Like there's a kingdom coming. So for 40 days, which is interesting, here's our first Old Testament allusion. 40 days Jesus is speaking to the apostles about his sufferings, resurrection, and the kingdom of God. They go together. You can't separate death and resurrection from the kingdom of God. Uh, 40 days appears a lot in the Old Testament. In the flood, Moses was on the Mount of Sinai for 40 days. It, it, it references the old being gone, the new coming. With Christ resurrected, there is a new king in town. There is a new king, and he is calling us to... Call him Lord. Bow our knee and confess him to be Lord. If Christ rose from the dead, what does this say about him? What does it say about who he is? It says that he is all powerful and all authority is his, which is what Jesus declares in the at the end of Matthew. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Yes. That's what Christians believe, right? All authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to Jesus, clearly demonstrated by his resurrection from the dead. And because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, the gospel will be unhindered. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's, that's where it comes from. In verse 18 of Matthew 28, we are told 
that our authority is in Christ and that authority is going to make his message go to all nations. Yet when we get down to the nitty gritty of what it means for all authority, it's yes, power over death. That is, that is the ultimate authority. But it's every little bit in between as well. Think about every detail of our life. It's that as well. It's bringing everything into submission to Christ. If all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, then he gets to define what marriage is, what family is, how we are to function in those places, how we are to live single, how we are to raise kids, how we are to use money, how we are to do everything. All authority has been given to Christ. Therefore, it's one thing to be like, yes, you beauty, God has defeated death in Christ. It's another thing to say, and now I'm going to submit all matter of my life under Christ. And this is why people hate the message. This is why the Jews hated the message, because they hear Christ and they know what that means. They know it means authority. They know it means submission. They know it means that he is going to rule them by his law. And they don't want to submit to God's law. They've never wanted to submit to God's law. They rebelled in the wilderness. They rebelled in the promised land. They rebelled even when they were scattered across the nations. Yet through God's grace and mercy, he has always kept a remnant for himself among the Israelites. So when we understand Christ's death and resurrection is a demonstration of him claiming the power of the kingdom of God and bringing his kingdom rule and reign here to earth, we can see why people hate it. If we are to just go out and offer, hey, do nothing, you're forgiven of your sins because Jesus loves you, which is similar to most of the gospel messages we hear today, most people are going to say, yeah, how do I take that? Let me pray the prayer now. And their life doesn't change. Yeah, but what the true message is, is that there is a kingdom coming with his king who loves justice and hates wickedness. And if we don't repent of our rebellion and turn and submit to his rule, his judgment will fall on us. The truth of the gospel is that the kingdom is coming. It's inevitable. The kingdom of God is coming to earth. It came with Christ. It's continuing to come today. And Christ's rule is with it. It's not much of a kingdom if there's no rule of Christ. So when we're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is good news of the kingdom, do we believe that it's good news that Christ is Lord? Or if an easier word, Christ is king of the kingdom. That means he gets to decide how you marry, who you marry. He gets to decide how you function in life, how you spend your money. He gets to decide how we act, what is righteous, what is wickedness. He gets to decide what his law is, what is good, true and beautiful. Not the world, definitely not us. Because when we define what is good, true, and beautiful, we're actually defining often what is wicked. So when Christ came, he came with his kingdom. 
and he's calling people to submit to the rule of his kingdom. He's not just calling any people, he's calling all nations. All nations. We see this in the end of Luke, and of Matthew, and the start of Acts. You will be my witnesses to all nations, starting here in Jerusalem. And interestingly, as I've already stated, Acts ends with that exact fulfillment. Acts 28, 30 to 31. No coincidence that it repeats phrases from the beginning of Acts. Paul, uh, it says he lived in Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. Welcome all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Where is he? In Rome. The epicenter of the empire of the time. The most powerful nation with the most powerful ruler. And he's there, unhindered, with all boldness, proclaiming there's a new king and a new kingdom in town. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord and Christ. Submit to him. Bow your knee. Call him Lord, repent of your rebelliousness, and submit to his law. Our encouragement in the book of Acts is that we would act through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we would proclaim, like the apostles, the death and the resurrection and the kingdom of God to the nations. And if we are to sit back and look at our nation. Does it know that Christ is Lord? Does our nation yet know that Christ is Lord? Let's pray. Almighty God, ruler of the heavens and earth. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our King, Lord of the heavens and earth. All authority is his now and forevermore. No one can take it from him and no one can hinder his gospel of the kingdom to go for. May we, Lord, remember what it is we are to proclaim knowing full well that people throughout history have been harmed because of their refusal to submit to Christ. Because of their hatred of the gospel message. Father, we pray that through your gracious hand, you would make us bold with the power of the Holy Spirit and we will fearlessly declare the gospel of the kingdom to our nation. And it's starting here in Curry and the Cessnock area that this nation will know that Christ is Lord of this nation and all nations now and forevermore. And Lord, we long for the day where every knee will bow and confess that you, Jesus, are Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.